You taught me a new word today, and that was good. Well, somebody has to, TJ. <laughs> Rusticated. Um, I, had to, I literally had to look it up. Sent to the country. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what happened um, when at, at my school, which was terribly, terribly posh. Uh, they didn't kick you out or throw you out on your backside. They rusticated you. Uh, and I had the great privilege of being indefinitely rusticated, pending a decision by the Board of Governors, uh, which I think <laughs> meant I was I was in serious trouble. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so sent home for, oh, I suppose it was the last half of... The O-level term. So O-levels are uh, exams. They don't exist anymore, but you used to take them in, in the UK when you were 16-ish, something like that. Yeah. Um, and it was, at the time at least, yeah, it was uh, still, I think, is that's the end of compulsory education. So you can leave school with O-levels and pretty much go off and do what you please. Uh, although the majority of people would go on to further education, that A-levels were the next ones, which mm -hmm. were sort of two years and two rating. Uh, so I was uh, sort of rebel without a cause. That that was me. Um, if there was a rule, I found a way of rebelling against it. Um, <laughs> as I was at quite a posh public school, they really didn't like me wearing jeans and ripped T-shirts and smoking all over the place and... Uh, just generally being a destructive sort of thing. So uh, they threw me out. Uh, fortunately, uh, I did okay in my O-levels. Um, and a combination of the Royal Air Force and my parents were paying uh, large sums of money to be at that school. So the Board of Governors decided that they'd like some more money and welcomed me back to do uh, double maths, physics, chemistry at A-level. Uh, they, they had a career path... Um, sort of painted out for me to go to uh, Oxford or Cambridge to study maths or math if you're uh, of the transatlantic uh, persuasion <laughs> um, I actually wanted to study languages which uh, this, this sort of gives away my age um, which my school thought was something for girls not not really something that young men should be pursuing um, after all, all foreigners should speak English. That that was broadly <laughs> the, um, the sort of approach of my school at the time. It's, it's it's much much more modern now. I'm delighted to say. Uh, so I went off to um, to a technical college, which is the kind of exact opposite of a public school. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can on a spectrum. Well, yeah, you can wear what you want, do what you want. Um, you know, turning up to lessons is yeah, it's kind of down to personal responsibility, uh, all that sort of thing. Uh, and so I went there instead, which saved everybody loads of money uh, and meant that I was able to study what I was really interested in. So, uh, there we go. Look at that. We haven't even started. And I've been off on a three and a bit minute tangent. <laughs> right out of the gate. I love it. It's good. Uh, there we are. It's, it's your fault. It's your fault for not knowing what <laughs> rusticated meant. Well, I won't make that mistake again. Right, so getting us back on track, TJ, what are you writing with and on? Uh, nothing strange or startling. It's similar to what I was running with and on last week, which was a Stadler Norris uh, and a Field Notes County Fair. I think it's Maine, uh, notable for having a banger, 
there are three bangers that I know of towns. Uh, one is in Wales, one is in the state of Maine, and one is in Northern Ireland and happens to be my hometown. There you go. All you ever wanted to know about Bangor and more. Too much, some might say. Well, I don't, I, I think I probably have the distinguished pleasure of not having visited any of those bangers. Um, but <laughs> something that I intend to, uh, to resolve quite soon, mm. hopefully. We will well, I've visited two. Later. I've been to the Welsh oh, one, well. and I've obviously been to the other one. Uh, I've yet to be the, to the one of the main, so the main one, if you will. Uh, we'll see that soon, hopefully, someday. That, that one sounds the most exciting, I'll be honest. Hmm. What about you? What are you writing on or with? Uh, well, podcast notes. Uh, I'm being very exotic uh, this evening. Um, I've been doing a lot of chopping and changing with my analogue tools. I'm, I'm having quite the time enjoying myself so i'm writing with a mont blanc rouge et noir héritage which is a very it's a very thin barreled uh mont blanc with a sort of snaky cap um it was released oh i could be in trouble here maybe five years ago um as a sort of throwback if you like it was mont blanc's throwback uh mine's the black one you can get sort of bright orange orangey ready ones as well uh, it's a lovely, lovely pen. Not very nice for writing for a long time, so it's a bit too fine for my mm. big fat fingers. Um, but uh, no, it's it's gorgeous, and I've got a very distinguished grey ink in it, which is uh, Chopin by uh, Diamine from their their music set. So I'm feeling very posh with my podcast notes, uh, and mm. well, kind of the opposite with my day to days. I'm using, I'm still using the moleskine, 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 dotted soft cover uh, with a spoke design pen. Have you seen these? I have not, but allow me to let Google educate me while you talk. Yeah, it's um, the, uh, Brad, Brad Daddy from the Pen Addict. Uh, oh is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, remember at least that. half half the uh, the brains behind this, and I suppose the, the most distinguishing thing about them they've got a very distinctive look, which is great. Um, I've got three because clearly I've got some sort of problem, but um, they're very distinctive, and they've got a magnetic cap. So when I put the cap on, Ooh. you hear that? A satisfying detente. Yeah, it sort of clicks into place. Um, it also attaches to your iPad. Uh, at the drop of a hat. Um, ah, very or, good. Or indeed anything else metallic that you happen to have about your person, which can be good or can be difficult. Um, and they're, yeah, they're really nice pens. Uh, I, I really like playing with them. They're not uh, my favourite sort of refill. They're, they're, they're sort of you know, jelly, uh, rollerball-y type-esque pens. But um, they're really, really nice for sort of everyday carry and work on every paper and all that sort of good jazz. Uh, there you go. That's me writing. I won't go into the rest because there are thousands of books and pens in my <laughs> life at the moment. Um, I'm still very much in the January thing. I'm still writing a journal here, a journal there, a diary here. It's all happening. Bullet journals, the, the whole kit. Really. <sighs> but before I get completely lost in that, uh, what are you watching, TJ? Anything? Yeah, a few bits and pieces. I have been watching... 
um, Stargate as kind of my guilty pleasure. Stargate SG-1, uh, which is a Richard Dean Anderson vehicle after MacGyver. Um, really fun sort of sci-fi show. And actually, I'll, I'll touch on it later in the topic, but um, I watched all of it as a kid. It used to be on about 7 p.m. on Sky One. And so I'd watch that at night before I went to bed. And I mean, this came out 1997. I think it was it started so i would watch it and i watched it religiously for years and years and years there's a couple of spin-offs and they did maybe at 14 seasons or something daft 200 and something episodes um and i've just found it again on our now tv stick and so i'm just blazing through it it's great i'm enjoying it it's not amazing it's not like it's it's pushing the boundaries of anything but it's a fun show and i remember it fondly and i'm enjoying little sort of 30 to 45 minute episodes uh every now and again so that's kind of the the regular thing I'm watching, I've also finished two things since we last spoke, uh, one of which okay. was a movie called What We Do in the Shadows. Um, have you ever seen anything by Taika Waititi, the director? Uh, not knowingly, I don't think. No. Uh, he was the big rock guy in Thor Ragnarok, if you've seen that. He was in okay. a film, he directed a film called Hunt for the Wild- Wilder People, which is sort of a New Zealand um, quite uplifting, interesting character arc story. One, um, he's a he's a kiwi, uh, the nationality, not the fruit, um, and he's a really interesting, really fun director. And the movie that I watched by him is called What We Do in the Shadows, and it's about werewolves and vampires and uh, the paranormal. But it's sort of set up like a documentary, uh, and he is directing it, but he's also in it as one of the the vampires, and. This documentary crew is basically following around these uh, Kiwi vampires. They've, they've all sort of come from around the world and settled in Wellington. And it sort of follows their their life. And it's really weird and funny and great. And they made it into a TV show, which I haven't watched yet. But the movie was from 2014 and it is fantastic. Um, and I'd seen it before and I wanted to watch it again. And the reason I wanted to watch it again is because I made Meg watch the new BBC drama series dracula which is we were talking about spectrums earlier so uh, what we do in the shadows is at the very friendly family friendly happy nice end of the spectrum dracula is on the very very far distant other end um where people wear other people as suits and there's lots of blood Mm. and it's very generally quite gory um inspired by the bram stoker novel and like three 90 minute episodes really really well produced I think Stephen Moffat's involved in it. Really, really great show. Uh, but we watched that. We watched an episode and Meg was like, can we watch something nice, please? Because this is terrifying. Uh, so <laughs> I made her watch another vampire film at the other end of the, the happiness spectrum. Okay. That's unusual for BBC to get, you know, quite so plugged into the gore and the... It's not really their thing, is it? It was... Yeah. Well, I think it's Stephen Moffat's thing. Uh, but it mm. was... It was quite dark in the in the best possible way. It wasn't dark for uh, if you see movies like Saw, which kind of they glorify the gore. It's kind of part of the 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 appeal for a lot of people. This is using the gore and the the violence as a storytelling uh, tool, and so it, it drives the story and the narrative forward. Okay, well, fair enough. I, I will look it up. I have seen lots of uh, advertising for it. I think mm. somehow or other that's on Cypriots. Netflix. Don't, yeah. Don't ask me how it works. I have no idea. <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, 
I've been well. You've been sort of scuttering around in the in the gutters. I've been I've been watching lots of. I went for the um, awards tab in Netflix. So movies that have won awards, mm. uh, which I think I was on the same sort of kick last week. Yeah. Uh, so this week started with um, just after we recorded last. Girl Interrupted, which is <laughs> quite an intense, yep. quite an intelligent film. Um, there were bits of it I thought, okay, I'm not sure I'm following. Uh, and I was having a fight with a supplier at the time uh, by email, so my attention was somewhat split. Um, <laughs> I think Mar- Margaret found it uh, a bit sort of disappointing. Um, the, mm. the sort of ending, I think, left her a bit flat. Was that it? Um, which is never so, the ideal yeah. commentary on an ending, is it? No. That film is really interesting in that that is one of Megan's favourite films. And oh, right. mine and Megan's first date was uh, I came round to her house to watch a film with her uh, and she put that film on. Because uh, why pick something uh, upbeat or cheery or you know, appropriate for two teenagers watching movie. That was what she picked. And so we sat and watched that. I don't remember most of it, but that is what our first date was, was watching that movie together. Wow. I'm sure that has a lot of meaning. <laughs> no yeah. idea what that meaning might be. And I'm just a uh, little bit scared of making Therapists so have tried for years. <laughs> Disentangled the, the nonsense wrapped up in that. But yeah, um, I'd forgotten about that until you mentioned it. That is... Well, spooky. Mm, there you go. Concerning. Well, um, the, uh, the night after, uh, we sat down again looking for a movie, doing that whole couples thing where I would see, oh, no. And then Margaret would see, oh, no. Um, and so we ended up watching a film that neither of us wanted to watch. Um, as, as Compromised sort of, with the yeah, worst possible. compromise. <laughs> um, and it wasn't one that I was aware of or I'd heard of. Um, it's called Flight. Um, uh, is a, a your man Denzel Washington on a plane? That's him. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and the most unlikely of emergency landings, uh, which I, I have no idea how possible this is, but essentially uh, everything was going wrong. The plane was falling to bits. The flaps were jammed. So Denzel, being Denzel, flipped it upside down. <laughs> and, what? Yeah, and flew inverted uh, away from uh, densely populated areas before flipping it back and and bringing it down with a minimal loss of life. Uh, Unfortunately, he had enough narcotics and alcohol inside him to tranquilize an elephant. And that was broadly what the story was getting at, was uh, uh, his relationship with alcohol. Which was a difficult watch for a man who... Six days before, had said, "Do you know I'm yeah. going to take a year off the booze? One year, um, no beer." Yeah, I was like, mm, "Okay, I, have I been played here? Has Margaret done some elaborate sort of subterfuge to get me to examine my relationship with alcohol?" <laughs> um, I, I, I don't think she had, bless her. Um, and it's uh, it's 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 an okay film. Um, we may refer back to this in, in our topic later, I suspect. We're flying mm. inverted. Um, uh, where do we go from there? Then 
uh, I think it was you recommended and a couple of people in the Slack have said, oh, The Witcher, you should have a look at that. What utter nonsense that is. <laughs> I, mean, um, I, I, I said some fairly um, derisory things about it in the Slack. I saw, <laughs> and, yeah. And, I was looking forward and, uh, to our conversation about it. And Urban came back and said, well, I actually enjoyed it. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I did enjoy it, even though <laughs> the lead character sounds like me doing a funny voice. It, actually, now that you say it, it's, it's a little bit Kaweka, isn't it? Uh, just a little. <laughs> I hadn't even uh, twigged, but yeah, now that you say it. It's uh, it, it's page seven of Monosyllabic Antihero. Um <laughs> That's my favourite one. And and, and <laughs> his other discerning characteristic, apart from being really good at chopping people to bits, is that uh, he's got yellow eyes. And I'm just, I'm just looking at this going, this is utter nonsense. And Margaret goes, what is this? I said, oh, it, it, it's The Witcher. It's terribly popular. She went, hmm. And then went to bed. Uh, so I have to say, I'm, I'm sort of compelled. I'm... I'm Three three episodes in there. Okay, you got a good feeling. bit to go. Five more. Yeah. Once once we've once we've finished tonight, I shall probably get sneak upstairs and watch another. Um, but uh, yeah, Jason Jason uh, Ross in the Slack was gave it away for me. That now I understand. It's a show derived from a video game, derived from a fantasy series. Originally written in Polish. So yeah, there's a few uh, translation. Um, transfers there that things could get confused or changed in but i think it's largely close to the books as as much as a tv adaptation of a video game adaptation of a book adaptation can be if you wanted to do a tv adaptation of a video game derived from a fantasy series of books in polish this is what it would look like (laughs) um as as a work of art on its own it is completely devoid of any artistry in my never humble opinion however it's all right and some of the chopping up stuff is great it's good fun yeah yeah fighting all sorts of weird and wacky monsters um so yeah that's that's definitely the other end of the scale from dracula i think um and then then where did i go from that Oh, this, oh, I watched this last night. And apologies to any Will Smith fans. Close your ears now. The Pursuit of Happiness. Starring Will Smith and Little Will Smith. Um, yep. He's probably called something else. Um, a really interesting 50 minute pseudo documentary turned into two and a bit hours of turgid overacting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's a device that you use in writing, which is you just keep making things harder and harder and harder for your hero. And so we see, I think there are about 14 different instances. I was counting. That's how good it was. When they were just making things tougher and tougher for our hero, uh, who's essentially uh, a sort of aspiring uh, man in San, it's based on a true story, but based in San Francisco, who is selling bone density scanners door to door. Um, and he's selling them in such a way as he's bought 
sort of you know the stock of 30 of them with his life savings and he's going from doctor surgery to hospital to doctor surgery trying to sell them um and you know times are hard and he's not making any money he decides he wants to become a stockbroker um but his only way in is to do a six-month internship unpaid uh all of this is going on while his wife is leaving him he's being thrown out of his apartment and he can't afford the daycare for for little Will Smith. Uh, so there's a, a kind of father son buddy thing going on. There's you know he's he's homeless, but still operating as an intern in a stockbrokership. And then, for the last forty minutes of the movie, Margaret was saying to me, "It's obvious what's going to happen. Can it just happen now?" <laughs> But no, no, we had to go from homeless to they're sleeping in a bathroom. And then from they're sleeping in a bathroom to they're sleeping in a homeless shelter uh, provided by a church where they have to queue and... Uh, oh, honestly, uh, it just went on and on. Spoiler alert, he gets the job at the end of the internship and in real life, uh, I think it was about eight years later, set up his own... Uh, broker, which he then sold a minority shareholding it for multi-millions and is probably, as we speak, uh, living the life and loving it all. And fair play to him. It's a wonderful story. Really badly told. Uh, <laughs> and, I mean, it's got to be a pretty bad script to make Will Smith unfunny. Yeah. I mean, that's that's tough. Um, and then the final bit in my massive this is me watching goes on for it's hours large, um, yeah. is now my my daily one year no beer videos where uh, every couple of minutes some relentlessly positive peppy people um, sort of just talk at me about different things and I, I mock it I, I think the series of videos is very very good but they are relentlessly positive um I, I think in real life I'd find them quite wearing, but in in sort of two minute spells that's that's fine, and it's all about the challenges of uh, of becoming a non drinker in a society which is mostly drunk. Is <laughs> how they would have have you believe it? That's the title um, of your second book, isn't it? <laughs> well, funnily enough, there is quite a lot of journaling going on around this subject because there are some there are some funny things that happen um i i suppose it, it's the contrast you know from being the guy first to the bar and last man standing at the bar i mean maybe standing in a pile of his own whatever but you know what i mean um <laughs> to to be the no no it's okay I'll, I'll i'll have a water please that's quite an extreme turnaround it's only natural that people are slightly wrong-footed by that i think um, but you do, you do hear some, some, some things that just, you think about them in context and you go, what? It's, it's really, you know, so, so why have you stopped drinking? I said, well, you know, I've looked all over this body of mine and there's a lot of it. Um, and I just can't find the off button. So I've decided not to drink. And they're looking and they go, well, well one won't hurt, will it? <laughs> Well, yes, that's exactly what I just told you. 
<laughs> if I have one, I quite fancy another, and then I fancy another more. And before before we know it, we're all having a massive party and a great time. Um, people just feel very uncomfortable. Um, I think because they think you're sort of casting aspersions on their mm. choices or, or life. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, maybe you are. I mean, I'm not. Um, I mean, live and let live is pretty much my, my motto. But it, it is quite strange. It's, it's a really interesting thing to observe. So, yeah, I dare say mm. there will be some, that will come out somewhere in something yeah. that I write, I'm sure. Very good. And what about listening? You listening to anything? I finished the Dinosaur Park stuff, which was good. Uh, and I'm back oh, on the... lucky man. You don't have to listen to any more of that. <laughs> back on to the D&D podcast, NADPOD, N-A-D-D-P-O-D. Um, I have two Audible audiobooks sitting there. Um, one of them is Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rand, and I'll possibly read that someday. Uh, the other one is um, Nomen by someone, and it's really difficult to get into so far. So I may or may not switch it back. The only thing holding me back from changing it is that I cancelled my Audible subscription because I had a backlog. Um, mm-hmm. Because I'd, I'd basically frozen it for three months, which is a feature they offer, which is really useful. And then in those three months, didn't catch up. And so it was then either renew or cancel. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to renew, even though I still need to delay. So I just cancelled it. Um mm-hmm. But once it's cancelled, you have to then go through customer service to swap a book. You can't do it automatically. Uh, it's mm. a fuss. They have to sort of manually do the operation. So because it's 15 minutes worth of effort, I haven't changed those books yet. Um, so I have audiobooks I could be listening to, and I'm just not listening. So uh, I've just gone back to podcasts and just listening. Little little piecemeal pieces here and there, seeing what I what I fancy. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm having something similar with the audible. I'm listening to the um, uh, the Bill Bryson one, uh, mm. Body Guide for Occupants, um, and I'm now listening to it slightly speeded up, which is always a sign <gasps> that I'm yeah. I'm losing interest. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, this isn't as much fun as I would like. Can we just get it over with? Because um, I've got quite a few stacked up behind that. Yeah. Um, and I've I've rationalised my podcast list. Good Lord, rationalize my podcast listening. Who'd have thought it? Um, <laughs> because a lot of my listening I was doing in the mornings when I was uh, out walking the dog, and I'm mm. now not listening to anything when I walk the dog. I'm, I'm sort of communing with nature a little bit more. Very nice. Um, which I think is probably better for my, my headspace. Um, but it means that I can't listen to quite as many podcasts as I used to. Um, yeah, we don't need to always be consuming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, um, I'm... I, I'm pleased with that arrangement for the moment. I think that we're going to stick with that. Um, what about reading? You reading anything? Uh, yeah, I started a new book the other day. Uh, it's called The First 15 Lives of Harry August. Um, it's by an author who's a pseudonym of another author, and I hadn't heard of either of them. Um, but I've only read uh, five or six pages. I literally started it just before I went to bed last night. Um, it seems interesting. It seems different. I like the premise from what I've read. I like the setup uh, and the writing has not switched me off so far. So that's a good sign. So we'll see. I'm not sure what to expect, yeah. but. I'm I think hopeful. it's pretty good. I read it. Um, I think I read it last year, maybe the year before. Um, and once you sort of wrap your head, as you say, wrap your head around the premise. Uh, yeah. I, I'll be interested to hear what you think. Okay. I'm looking forward to finishing uh, it. 
uh, I'm uh, going back to the previous conversation. I'm I'm now in a sort of vortex of quidlet. <laughs> I'd never heard that, but that's a great term. Yeah. Well, there's. I mean, it's it's almost certainly it'll be an Amazon category. I'm sure of that. Um, well, especially in January. I'm sure January's big for quidlet. Yeah, and I mean now you know, it's very Alamo to quit everything. So sugar, um, meat, uh, nicotine. Oxygen. Uh, all manner of narcotics, um, <laughs> alcohol. Yeah. Um, listening to podcasts, you know. Um, and pretty much anybody of a literary bent who gives up something keeps a journal, partly because you're advised to do such a thing. And at the end of, I don't know, a period, let's say six months, you look at a journal and go, do you know, this is most of a book. <laughs> Um, <laughs> stick a cover on that bad boy and it's uh, ready for publishing yeah the the trick is finding the ones that have edited it or had it edited by a professional and then stuck a cover on it versus the ones who have just gone oh upload uh, and is you know badly punctuated barely readable um, but I've been reading some really good ones I don't know if you've heard of Alan Carr I'm sure we talked about him before I think we got. I got confused with him and the British the comedian. comedian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very different. Um, he he wrote the or he came up with the easy way to quit smoking, um, which was how I quit smoking predominantly. So I read it, read his book, um, and it's um, it's NLP, uh, neuro linguistic programming, uh, which is a you know, perfectly legitimate way of trying to influence people's behavior. And he would argue, or many would argue, that he just spelt out the logic of cigarettes and their place in society and why mm. people got addicted and all that stuff. And if, again, this ties into the topic later, if you buy into that, uh, it's quite easy to change your mindset then towards the addiction and, and then hopefully go on and defeat it. And it worked for me smoking-wise. And I think for him it worked smoking-wise and it worked financially. I think he made a fortune. Yeah. Uh, so as all good entrepreneurs do, you're like, what else can I give up? Um, <laughs> instantly declared himself an alcoholic and wrote one about booze. Now, again, I'm being flippant. He may well have been an alcoholic, I don't know. Um, or, or he just saw the... Um, the, the financial potential because he also did one on uh, the easy way to lose weight uh, and I'm sure if I looked hard enough I'd find ones on the easy way to stop listening to podcasts all sorts um, <laughs> so I read that the easy way to give up alcohol easily or something well, I can't remember what it's called um, which is essentially the same book as the as the nicotine one um, and then I read something called The Naked Mind by Annie Grace, um, which was very similar, uh, I think a much gentler tone, a different sort of uh, approach, a bit more modern to, but again, largely NLP, you know, talking about people's relationship with alcohol. Hmm. Um, and the one that I'm just finishing now is an absolute riot. Um, it's called The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by... Catherine Gray, um, who uh, she's written under her own name, which is quite unusual in this field, um, because she's she's not real. Well, she may have, but 
what she hasn't held back on uh, is scary enough, but I think is also universal. Uh, anybody mm. who's ever overdrunk and gone out and had too many um, and done something that they've regretted later <laughs> will see a little glimpse of themselves in her stories. She uh, she was working for I think Cosmopolitan uh, and you know li- living the good life, turning the volume up to eleven I think, mm. uh, and that you know brought a whole load of, of problems. And she writes very very candidly about it. Uh, so it's a really funny read, if you see what I mean, whilst dealing with quite a serious subject. Which I think is really re- important. I think it's a good way of getting important messages across, is is make them uh, accessible by being funny. Absolutely. Um, and it's, um, I don't know, if you go to any bar anywhere in, in the world, you will hear, uh, you know, young people, young people, of course, never old people. No. Uh, you'll hear people standing at the bar chatting and talking about their misdemeanors of the last. You know, oh, God. And you remember when you and oh, yeah, what about that girl? And, you know, there's this sort of war stories of yeah. going out on the town, you know. And that's very much the sort of prevailing um, or prevailing even culture. And that that's one of the difficulties with uh, with not drinking, for, I think probably for my generation and above, is is that it's um, it, people say, "Oh, you're not drinking, you've got a problem." Ostracizes <laughs> you somewhat. Well, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I well, I, I, I don't want to get preachy, but the argument that all this quitlet uses is that alcohol is addictive, uh, and that alcohol is a poison a huge proportion of the population, let's say for the sake of argument of the UK um, and of the US too, if you like, um, are addicted to a poison. Now, you can call it all sorts of other things if you like, but that is factually what has happened. And should you, me or anyone else go, do you know what? I'm not sure that being addicted to a poison is a great idea. <laughs> I'm going to stop taking that poison. Yeah. Is is not cause for concern, if, nor is it cause for confusion. It should be cause for, hmm, that seems a fairly logical conclusion to arrive at. <laughs> uh, but that's not how it works. And that's not how people see it. And that's why people say to you, oh, well, you can have one, surely. Oh, oh can you not handle your drink? <laughs> well, yes. Oh, yes, I can handle my drink. I could drink you under the table four times until you're a puking wreck. <laughs> That's the problem, you muppet. <laughs> it's, it, it is quite weird. It's, it's, uh, it's the upside down. Mm. <laughs> Society's approach to drinking is the upside down. Yeah. Uh, so... Yes, I shall now uh, get back off my uh, my high horse and I will stop preaching. Um, but yes, let's just say I've seen the light. I've not been drinking for ooh, 12 days now, nearly two weeks. Um, oh, you're feel, well into it. feel loads better for it. Um, and at the end of my year's challenge, assuming that I get that far, um, I, do not, uh, I do not see myself immediately running to the wine fridge and, uh, and grabbing a bottle of wine. 50 weeks uh, to go. 
Yeah, exactly. So yeah. once you've done two weeks, the other 50 are easier, of course. <laughs> hmm. um, yes, let's see. Uh, but uh, the impact on the wallet is very, very pleasing, I've got to say. Even in two short weeks. Which obviously brings us directly to our next subject. What are you drinking, TJ? So I haven't been drinking anything Stranger Startling. Uh, certainly nothing alcoholic. It's uh, it's busy in work, and so I, I'd like to uh, keep a clear head. So I, I would very rarely drink on a weeknight anyway. Um, uh, at the weekends, I think I had a beer last weekend because it was the last one in the fridge after Christmas. Uh, so it was literally like, yeah, have one, and then I don't have any more, so that's kind of finite supply. Um, I did have a, an old-fashioned on Sunday, I think. Um, nice. But again, I, I, I have one drink and I'm like, that was lovely. I am no longer thirsty. And it, that's kind of the box ticked. Um, so I, I don't really have an issue. Like, I don't find myself drinking more than um, one or two ever. But we'll see. Maybe it'll become a problem. Maybe it's something I need to think about. But no. Um, in work, we got a new coffee machine. Um, I liberated it from part of a different building and put it in a different part of a different building. Um, and so we now have a, a Tassimo Bosch machine, which Ooh. is um, it's similar to Nespresso in that it comes with prepackaged um, sort of exclusive, incompatible with any other device pods uh, that are, instead of being a little sort of cup, these are like a flat disc, like a donut almost. Um, so I had... Uh, I cleaned the machine uh, when I moved it into the, the office. And then I had the inaugural cup, which was a Costa latte. So it had a little um, sort of donut capsule of UHT milk that it heated up and sort of um, frothed. And then an espresso shot that went in on top of that. And it was it was pretty good. Nothing terribly fancy, but it was a nice little coffee and it was quick and easy. Um, I did mostly drink it to make sure that the machine was, was working and wouldn't kill people um, before I left it. So it was... I kind of cleaned it, ran some hot water through it, and then brewed a cup, and then tentatively drank the cup going, is this going to kill anyone, or is this good to go? Um, <laughs> so I'm still alive, sort of six hours later, so hopefully either the, the kill time is longer than six hours, or everyone's going to be fine. Yeah, well, there we go. No, no casualties as yet. <laughs> but yeah, that's as wild as we've gotten, is a, is a Tassimo pod coffee. Well, it, it's out there on the edge, TJ. Um, I'm I'm still uh, in uh, the French for water, uh, which is you know, slightly more expensive than gold. Uh, and yeah, variations on that theme, different waters, different uh, uh, sodas, soda and lime. Uh, mm. What I'm trying not to do is drink my own body weight in sugar. Um, yeah, which, that's very easy to do as well. Yeah, that that can happen apparently if you sort of give up the beer and stuff. You start reaching for coke, and before you know it, you doubled in size and your teeth have dropped out. Um, I would very rarely, and it's something I'm going to keep an eye on when we're in the states. I would almost never order a drink with sugar in it, unless it's a coffee, you know, with with maybe like syrup or something. But see, mm. a soft drink like a, I would never. I only drink Diet Coke or Pepsi Max or things like that. I never would drink the full fat version. It's too sweet. It's too sickly. I can't. I just don't like it. Um, now, I'm aware there's aspartame and all kinds of nasty stuff in, in diet beverages as well. Just because it doesn't have any calories doesn't mean it's not doing you harm. But um, I would never drink sugary drinks. Um, and so it'd be interesting to go to the States where it's like, here is a bucket and a straw. Um, and <laughs> sure. you know, that's that's kind of the portion. 
Um, cause I, you know, I, when I was in Canada, I remember getting the big gulp in the Seven Eleven, which was essentially just, um, something you'd wash a small SUV with, with a lid, um, <laughs> and, uh, free refills. So, you know, it's dangerous. I can see why people have problems with lots of sugary drinks. Um, maybe, maybe I have a drinking problem with Pepsi Max. That'd be something to explore. Well, that aspartame will kill you as fast as, I don't know, something. <laughs> well, yeah. Buying? Right, where are, oh, buying, buying. Oh, yeah, airline tickets. Ooh. Um, yes, I, um, what are, we've got planned, we've got a trip to Rome planned, which I think we've covered. Uh, and But the one after that for me uh, is to Northern Ireland for something ah. that you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing um, a. I'm having a little shindig, little little sum sum, you know. Yeah, so I did all the the shopping around because, um, uh, well, for those who don't know, Cyprus is in the Eastern Med. So if you can find Syria on a map, uh, we're about <laughs> half a centimeter <laughs> left of that. Um, yeah, we're we're about fifty miles from Syria, which is a sobering thought in itself, um, and. Uh, we're very well connected um, as long as you want to go to Athens. If you don't want to go to Athens, we're, we're not superbly connected. And to get to uh, TJ's little corner in the world, we have a couple of options to sort of end up either at Belfast um, or if we want a slightly longer drive, then we can we can go down to Dublin. Uh, so that creates, you know, 364 permutations to try and work out. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I went through all that process and, uh, we ended up, I think, going to Belfast, uh, and then, you know, hiring a car and, you know, all of that sort of admin stuff that you have to do. Mm. Uh, and then putting it into TripIt. Have I spoken about TripIt before here? TripIt. Have I got that app? No, uh, I don't. It's a, it's a good little app. Um, so, uh, cause I'm registered with them. If I forward an email from my address to them, they turn it into a an itinerary and a calendar. Oh. So the, it goes into my sort of suite of calendars that, that control uh, our lives that, you know, Margaret and I share and all that jazz. Um, and also on the app, it has a, a sweet little itinerary, which says, you know, check in at this time and do that. And then your car hire is this. And it keeps all the information there. So... As long as you can access your TripIt, then you've got all your reference numbers and everything that you might need, uh, which I find very useful, I have to say. Good little app. Uh, I'm looking now. This is interesting. There you are. It's a, it's a digital tip on 1853. 1857. 1853. Who's 1853? That's your supplementary podcast where you just chat for 60 to 70 minutes about pens. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I've heard that's been done. Um, <laughs> can't imagine by whom. Quite. Uh, so yeah, that that was my sort of shopping. What about you? You mean shopping in any sort of yeah wedding stuff? Wedding, wedding, wedding. I bought uh, a birth certificate last time. Uh, you'll be pleased to know why well, I bought a copy of a birth register or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you'd like to be pedantic, um, I have now bought a wedding license, or we have paid the fee appropriate to acquire a copy of a distinction of the impression of a wedding license. Um, uh, so that's being sorted out as we speak. Uh, we get a what is it? A not a reg- a, a schedule or something we get, um, yeah. which then converts into some 
archaic form of paperwork that becomes a thumbs up for us being married. Um, so that was good. Got all the paperwork away for that. Um, bought the, the trousers for the groomsmen. They all match mine, so that looks good. Uh, I haven't bought them yet, but I'm uh, I'm angling them up to buy some uh, Irish linen bow ties. You know, keep it keep it local. Um, Excellent. And that's that's the the broad and the short of it. I didn't buy this technically, but there was another thing which I added in supplementarily. Um, it's kind of parish notices. It's kind of here. Um, I give a ten pound deposit to work. Uh, and in return, they give me a Fitbit Charge HR, which is a uh, mm-hmm. heart rate monitor, uh, pedometer, uh, are you sleeping well enough machine that straps to your wrist. Um, so I was about to buy one. Meg and I were going to get a couple's matching pair of heart rate monitors because that's the yeah, kind of people we are. You were watching it with Camel Camel, weren't you? Mm, I was. And I almost bought them. And then uh, I bumped into someone and they said, oh, did you not speak to so-and-so? Uh, there's a thing in, in work where we have the the leaderboard you can get the the device and then you can because it's all part of the you know sort of um healthy living and they want to encourage occupational to, health yeah. yeah all that stuff and so i went oh i hadn't thought of that uh one brief email and 10 pound deposit later uh and i was the proud owner of a, a brand new literally it came in a bag and it was there you go we have a couple more if there's anyone else you want uh to do that let me know uh and so i came home with it and meg was like oh so you, you bought one. I was like, yeah, it was only a tenner. What? Why didn't you? Uh, I tried. I tried. I tried. Can I have one for my soon-to-be spouse? And that did not fly. Apparently she's not staff, so it doesn't work. But um, I have mine. It's very nice. I'm enjoying it. My heart rate currently is 77 beats per minute. Um, very good. I've done 7,308 steps today, which is a little low. I have burned 3,055 calories, and I've walked three and a half miles. Okay. So quite a lazy day in, in retrospect. I basically walked from the house to the car, the car to the station, the station to work, and then that in reverse. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we can go for this now. I mean, I've got – how many calories do you say you did? Uh, 3,055. 3,055. That's pretty good. And, I think that's uh, including a default burn of maybe 2,000 for just like – Yeah, yeah. I was going to say I won't die today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not your moving one. My moving one no. is 2,495. Oh, very um, good. Yeah, I played golf. <laughs> I've, got, <laughs> well. um, I've got 283 minutes of exercise, so 943% of the target. Uh, and I've been upstanding <laughs> for 17, <laughs> 17 of the last 12 hours. Um, well, look at that. I was sitting down at one point. Oh, I must say when I had a nap. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's. Uh, I I think they're good things. I I honestly do. Uh, I'm pleased. Uh, it's good for tracking my sleep as well because um, I suspected I wasn't getting enough sleep, uh, and in the four or five days I've I've done it so far, that has sort of been shown out to be true. So let me see. I have five days worth of data. Um, six hours thirty nine, six hours twenty five, five hours eighteen, six hours fifty four, seven hours thirty three. So, I could be getting more sleep. No, I'll just be jogging on the spot, monitoring my heart rate. <laughs> I did do three extra flights of stairs the other night to make it to 10,000. 
So we were just about to go to bed and I looked down and I was like, well, can't leave it there. And uh, just paced the stairs until we hit 10,000, which is, that is good. That's the kind of, um, that's the kind of notification that I want uh, where it's actionable and doesn't really cost anything. It's like, hey, you're pretty close to this. Why don't you just do a little bit extra? Because that's all you need sometimes is just be like, yeah, all right, okay, no worries. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, that's good. Well, I don't think any of the last couple of minutes recorded. That's not good, is it? I think oh. I have my mute on. Um, <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I heard you, but maybe we could just have me nodding along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, there's an editor. He'll fix all that in post. Um, <laughs> one of the, the, the projects that I took on was that we're converting one of our bedrooms, uh, or we've converted, in fact, one of our bedrooms to a gym. Oh, very uh, good. When I say gym, that's slightly overstating it. It's got an exercise bike in it. Um, and it's got a, uh, a trampoline, uh, oh. a boogie bounce, the boogie bounce of great fame, which, uh, thus far I've been proven right. This, this thing has been dragged around Europe and still not being used. Um, I'm going to get a photo. Hold on. <laughs> well, we're optimistic that, uh, maybe, maybe it will get used soon. Uh, not by me. I don't think they make trampolines. <laughs> Is this got a little handhold and stuff? Yeah, it's got a little handlebar. <laughs> and um, Margaret used to do it in a class in the UK where they would all sort of do it together and they've got an instructor and they're doing star jumps and and all that. And I guess that's better than doing it. The idea of going into our spare bedroom on my own for a little bounce on a trampoline, I, I can't get my head around it. <laughs> Need to teach um, Spice to do this. It's perfectly sized for a dog. <laughs> well, that's the other thing is that Margaret's very insistent that it should be inside. And I'm like, you know where you're going to bang your head? Now, admittedly, <laughs> Margaret, Margaret is quite short. So um, there is quite a lot of headroom. But in all of our bedrooms as well, we have fans. <laughs> so, you know, that's so, just extra difficulty. You've got to dodge the blades. <laughs> Yeah, so I've, I've, sort of, I've insisted that it go in a corner and I've said, look, you've got to be facing the fan because just horrible sort of horror film visions coming into my head. Final Destination-esque. Yeah, that type of stuff. Um, so that that was the project. And it was, ah, this won't be difficult. I'll just whip this out here and whip that out. So it involved 
taking apart a bed and then putting the wrapping the bed up and putting the bed into sort of attic storage. Uh, and then there was a, or they, there's a sofa bed type occasional day bed thing that was in the office. Um, so I'll just take that upstairs. Oh no, I won't because it won't fit through the door. Well, I'll just unscrew that and I'll unscrew that. And, you know, a couple of hours became two days. Oh uh, dear. But it's all done and it all went back together. And uh, as far as I'm aware, nothing has collapsed yet. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was our, our thing. We've sort of, Margaret came down. I don't, I don't know if she'd had a chat with the cleaning lady, I think. And she came down and said, we should set this house up for us. And I looked at her and went, this has occurred to you now? Um, <laughs> um, because essentially, I think we were preserving a sort of, you know, uh, at any given time, several bedrooms available for, for the visitors that were going to come marauding up the driveway. Um, um, uh, and, you know, just sort of closing off large parts of the house. So I, it's a very positive change. Good. Um, and yes, exhausting. Exhausting. Good, good, good for the heart rate and the step count, I've got to say. Right. Well, there we go. We've got through. We've got through the opening remarks in less than an hour, TJ. That's um, progress. Well, probably significantly less than than now because at least part of mine's disappeared. Um, <laughs> well, when I say disappeared, I make it sound as though the technology has done something weird. I press the mute button. I think that's probably what happened. Um, well, I'll just insert appropriate noises, uh, or just leave <laughs> you quiet for a bit. Mm. Well, there you ah, go. That'll be ooh. blessed relief. Um, <laughs> just give me a couple, of, like yeah, mm. Mm. like a couple of nice, oh, nice generic signs. I think you can find plenty of those littered around, along with a, <laughs> which appears to be one of my ticks, which I was not aware of until we started recording <laughs> recording the podcast. Uh, so, where are we now? We're at the three pin plug. This is the bit where uh, we tell you, our beloved listener, who we are, uh, in the hope that you will uh, go off and do something uh, that benefits us in some way or even directly financially benefits us. Uh, my name is Stuart Lennon. You can find me at stuartlennon.com or on Twitter. You can find me at Stu Lennon, for example. Um, I run stuartlennon.com, which is my own website for my own writing. Uh, there is a membership scheme there for a massive £12 a year. You can uh, get to read all sorts of members-only exclusive content. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, uh, there's also some uh, some stuff that goes up there every week, which is free for everyone. Uh, I also run a thing called Nero's Notes, which is a purveyor of fine notebooks, pencils, pens, and other stationary stuff. Um uh, you will find 1857 branded uh, kit there, or merch, as I believe you uh, should probably call it, uh, by which I mean notebooks and pencils. Uh, any of those that we sell, the profit goes directly into the 1857 pot, which we use to pay the hosting and editing and all the other sort of techie things that you have to do to produce a podcast. What about you, TJ? My name is TJ Cosgrove. I run Wood and Graphite, which is a YouTube pencil-based narrative filmmaking documentary channel, if such a thing were to exist. Um, if you enjoy what we talk about here, you might enjoy what the videos and films that I make on my channel. Uh, just 
give it a Google. Have a little search on YouTube. Wood ampersand graphite. Wood and graphite. Whatever you like, it'll find it. Um, lots of interesting videos about little niche subjects like we like to discuss right here. Um, I'm working on a video at the minute which includes uh, dumbbells. Uh, that's a nice sort of cryptic clue and we'll see Mm -hmm. if that video pans out so dumbbells if you're listening to this in the future or the past uh, go and look for a video about that i'm working on it at the minute hope to have it out sort of mid-january fabulous and the third pin the earth pin of the plug if you like um is this podcast itself which you can find Mm -hmm. at www.1857.co.uk as well as uh all good uh podcast providers um, if you do go to the homepage, you will find uh, the amazing show notes that TJ puts together, uh, usually using pencils, and whether they be Apple or otherwise. Um, and you'll also find a little button that says donate. Uh, if you click that button, you'll be invited to donate uh, a sum of your choosing. Uh, we recommend two to three hundred thousand dollars. However, Minimum. we know that not everybody can do that. Uh so if you could only manage a thousand, that's fine. Uh, we don't mind. We also I, accept uh, dinars or um, uh, American crimes. Express. That'll do nicely, sir. Yeah, yeah, uh, whatever currency you prefer. Um, uh, if if we get enough money, we'll uh, we'll go out and buy coffee. But um, if we don't, then we use it to fund the hosting and editing costs of the podcast. So if you do feel that way inclined, feel free. But most importantly, um, if you do like what we do, uh, tell someone, tell a friend, uh, send them a link, uh, because the more people that we have listening, the more inclined we are to keep recording. Uh, we're going to keep recording anyway, in fairness, but it's just nice. It makes us feel good. Uh, well, I think that'll do for a three pin plug. What on earth are we talking about today, TJ? This is a subject and a topic that I teased, I think it was last episode, uh, and one that you feel you're going to be quiet on, but I think we can have a good chat about. Suspension of disbelief. I don't believe it. Well, suspend that disbelief uh, and we'll get right into the topic. So this is something that I uh, have a lot of strong thoughts and feelings about. It it comes from having done a degree in film studies, um, which is basically just English for movies. Uh, I wrote a lot of essays. I did a lot of critical thinking about films. And most of it is nonsense. Uh, but a lot of it comes from the same place that literary sort of um, analysis comes from, where you're you're trying to figure out why a thing works or maybe how it works or, or why it meaning uh, impacts in a certain way. Uh, and it's something that every time I watch a film, I'm acutely aware of. And every time I watch a bad film, I'm slapped across the face with. Um, and it's the notion that every... Every film has a central conceit. It has a, a gimmick, a thing that is sort of powering the story, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's fundamental to the fiction. Uh, you know, you, you've won suspension of disbelief. That's what fiction is. It's not reality. It's a mirror in which we show a version of reality that, that we find interesting. Uh, and so, you know, films like Harry Potter, the central conceit, the, the disbelief that you're suspending in Harry Potter is that magic is possible. That is the the engine which drives the narrative. You know, magic is possible, therefore this can happen. Um, in Star Wars, it's the Force, which is just magic again, but the Force is there, therefore all this stuff can happen. 
um, you know, Terminator, time travel. That's the central premise. The whole plot of all the movies revolve around the idea that time travel is not only possible, but it happens semi-regularly. And these sort of engines for the, the story are really useful and they're really powerful and you can do an awful lot with them. But a lot of problems happen and a lot of writers and, and filmmakers get themselves in diff whenever they start either stretching it or chopping and changing it. And I think a lot of bad movies come about by people not respecting uh, suspension of disbelief. Okay, so give me an example. So, one of the ones I, I hate the most, and people will argue with me and have argued with me before, is that Harry Potter, uh, I read all the books when I was a kid, loved them. I watched the films, they were fine. I mean, they weren't bad, but I think some of the magic, ironically, had worn off. Um, but Harry Potter is one of those series where magic is the central conceit. If magic is possible, these stories can happen. And then, I can't remember, it's like the fourth or fifth book, Hermione gets a locket that can time travel. Mm-hmm. And that's just like a throwaway thing. It's like, oh, by the way, she can time travel. Uh, we've never mentioned it before. We will never mention it again. It just helpfully sews up this little uh, uh, inaccuracy, this little thing we had in the mill. We needed this to work. So we kind of just smacked a bit of time travel on it. And now it works. But forget actually the time travel is a thing because it's never going to come up in any of the expanded universe ever again. And it's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You asked me to suspend my disbelief that magic is a thing. That is fine. Time travel and magic are not the same. If you'd said it was some weird... like, <laughs> It wasn't an extension of the original disbelief. It was just an entirely different thing. And so you're trundling along going, yeah, magic is real. They can cast spells. They can detect things. You can change into animals. That's and, oh, right. I guess I guess everyone can time travel as well, but it's just never talked about. And all the problems that it could fix are never fixed with it. All the issues that it raises are never raised. I, I guess it's in this universe, but no one talks about it in this universe. And it's it's one of those instances where the filmmakers have used it to fix a very specific narrative problem, or the author has used it to fix a narrative problem, which was, how do we undo this thing we did? Or how do we have this person perceive a thing they couldn't possibly be, have been there for? And they kind of open a can of worms accidentally when they do that. And then they kind of just go, well... Oh, that actually complicates the plot. So we'll just put it in the bin. Once they've used it, they put it away. And I think it cheapens the story. I think it ruins, certainly it damages my perception of the thing because all of a sudden I'm going, whoa, 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 hold on. You asked me to suspend my disbelief. And and that suspension is what allows the story to have weight and meaning and, and emotional impact. You know, if a character dies, it matters. Whereas if they can time travel then they could just undo it. So what's the point? Why, why does your story matter if the thing you've now introduced could undo the entire story so far or make everything fine? You know, if time travels a thing, why don't you just go back and kill Voldemort? Done. Or go back and stop Voldemort before he becomes Voldemort? Done. Story doesn't happen. So it, it completely takes the weight for me out of the entire narrative after that because they've kind of dumped this weird thing into the middle of it and it doesn't quite match with the original suspension that they asked of you have you ever found that am i just off in the deep end here ah uh, well where else would you find a tj um <laughs> well it's the problem with your problem is that mm-hmm. it's quite arbitrary to i mean 
Harry Potter the the magical world that it is. There are an, an enormous amount of things that are called spells, and as you say, the the, the time travel thing is a spell. Um, and well, it's actually it's just a locket. It's not talked about in any kind of meaningful way. There's no description of it. It's just a thing that travels time. It could equally be a DeLorean, and it would yeah. be just as narratively valid as what they you know, showed you. Yeah, for sure. But but the, you know, there's also um, you know spells that appear to uh, resolve problems very very effectively that have not been used to resolve other problems that they could have used. <laughs> yeah, for, you know, to sort of go back to your why don't you just go back and kill Voldemort. Um, so you watch Harry Potter sort of jogging around the place as a teenager going Expelliarmus and, you know, wands are flying left, right and centre. Um, and yet whenever the, the going gets really, really tough, he's incapable of doing anything, uh, until suddenly <laughs> his, his little scar goes blah, blah, blah. Everything goes bright and everybody, uh, for want of a better phrase, buggers off. Um, <laughs> that said... Uh, I suppose the the amount of um, investment that you have in the story, mm. there are Harry Potter fans. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Molly. Hi, Molly. Um, Claire's daughter would yeah. be, a would mount a stout defence, much stouter than, than I could mount. <laughs> um, and and B, you know, is so or certainly was last time I spoke to her, which was a year ago, which I appreciate is a long time when you're, when you're in a young person, um, you know, was so engaged in, in the whole thing that she would, she would swallow that hook line and say, get no problem. Yeah. The, the less engaged you are, then the more, you know, questions come up. So, you know, using another of your examples, the Terminators, Mm. um, you know, where, uh, as much as I paid any attention, because let's face it, I, w- I wasn't really watching it for the logic. Um, was you know, uh, so so who's created who now to attack? Who? Oh, I don't care. Arnie will win. Um, yeah. And it it was, I suppose, there the problem was uh, all about sequels. So we've made one with this really clever premise, um, which came to a you know a wonderful end until we went oh no actually should we just keep his hand just in case so the, the <laughs> end the end of the end of t2 was the perfect end of that of that uh series if you like yes that's that's a brilliant movie there's the premise it's all worked and then what we're going to do now is generate a series of movies afterwards where you know they won't stand up to more than three seconds examination because you've shoehorned this in to try and create a logic to allow you to create another film to make lots of money. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there are people that will go, no, actually, that's not true. But that's how it felt to me watching T3. You think, no, it doesn't make any sense at all. But, oh, Garbage. look, here's Arnie. Yeah. Here we go. Boom, we're off. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, I suppose I haven't seen the sort of the, the more recent Star Wars movies. And whenever one comes on, uh, it's got to the stage now that I've got no idea where it fits. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I don't know, because we have, um, you know, Sky TV and the, over Christmas at least, one of the channels was just showing Star Wars movies. Um, and I'm sure it was showing them in the right order. It's just I didn't know where in the sequence I was coming in. And so I would sit there and go, is this one of the ones I'm supposed to hate? 
or is this one of the ones I'm supposed to think is <laughs> Is brilliant? this a good one or a bad mm. one? Yeah. Um, <sighs> and, you know, I'm sure I watched, you know, seven after I'd watched four and, and then watched eight. <laughs> and, you know, had- why does Harrison Ford keep getting older and younger? What's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, why wouldn't he? Um, you can do it. If De Niro can do it, uh, why can't Harrison? Exactly. Um, I, I know. I know. I'm being pedantic. I know this is one of those ones where uh, some a subset of the listeners will go, "TJ's off on one again," and I am. Well, you know, a large part of this is me being pedantic and and picking holes in things that don't necessarily need to be picked. But at the same time, it frustrates me because I, I love excellent writing. I love stories. And when a story is made worse for me because of a cheap trick or because you're like, well, there are ways you could have done that that would have been true to what you've already set up. Like you've asked me to believe in this universe and then you've changed the rules. It feels disingenuous. Here's one for you. Okay, we'll we'll deflect deflect all the uh, the emails from you and we'll send them to me. (laughs) Science fiction and fantasy is just lazy writing. I'm. I am offended. I am disgusted. <laughs> I am. I think we have to stop the podcast here. You're. You're incapable of making something interesting happen within the parameters that exist, and so you just create mm. your own. That's a really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting point. So, I don't. Before the emails come, I don't believe that as a particular <laughs> statement. But what no, I'm you're not. You're not wrong. Yeah. What I'm saying is that. Um, I think the best science fiction is the science fiction or the fantasy that doesn't mess too much. Yeah, hard science fiction, which is based on physics and and science and and the laws that we currently understand and and somewhat abide to. I mean, I think that's... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, partially I think it's because it's really impractical to create, uh, you know, in, in the spell of a movie or a book. If you want to create a world, sake of argument, with an entirely different system, you know, with a whole new set of rules. How the hell do you communicate all of that to the reader? Yeah. Or the or the watcher. You know, here's seven hours of exposition so Lower. that you can yeah. enjoy this one hour romp <laughs> through Have these... you read the backstory? Have you read yeah. the tomes? <laughs> exactly. These weird rules that we're gonna create. So I think there, there are obviously, you know, Star Wars, uh, even Terminator, even Harry Potter, the incredibly successful, uh, incredibly well written, uh, mostly, and <laughs> you know, phenomena of of their own. But the reason I think that there is so much fantasy and so much, what do they call it now? As uh, a youth, uh, youth fiction, adult, young adult. Fiction, young adult yeah uh, which tends to be in this sort of soft fantasy area as well all of that stuff is because you can just sit down and make it up now i appreciate <laughs> that i can sit down and, and make things up about the real world um but i'm at the moment wrestling with a draft and as i'm reading it through i'm going okay so this is what i want to happen and at the moment i've got character a saying and we're going to do this i think but character a wouldn't say that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And and the reader is going to sit there and go, huh? Why is he saying that? And so I have to go away and think about character A and what his motivations are and why he mm. might do things and what what would be 
what he's trying to achieve, even if I'm not going to explore that. Yeah. I need to understand what it is to make it. Re- and yeah, God, it's hard work. Whereas in fantasy, I could say, ah, well, this is because he's in fact Ta-da! a lunatic from the planet Zingzong. Yeah. And that's what people from Zingzong do, which uh, touches on the point you, you've made a little bit later. No, there, how is that for time twisting? That touches on a point you've made a little bit later. God. <laughs> yeah, time traveling convention yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to make the past. The pre- uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I find it, it frustrates me most whenever a universe has established the boundaries of its, of its own reality and then it contravenes it. And that's frustrating because you have, as a as a viewer, you're invested in the story. If you enjoy it and you're invested in the, the narrative and what happens and you have constructed the reality that they've presented to you. So you understand the bounds of it, which is why films that launch you into loads and loads of backstory or, you know, so-and-so, son of such-and-such with uh, who was the lord of this. And you're like, I don't know who those are. I don't know what's happening. Where am I? What is happening? They're disorientating because you don't have any boundaries. You don't know where mm. everything is or what's happening. The Witcher can be a little bit like that. I find some of the beginning of it being like, what? Where are we? What's happening? What does the world look like? And The Witcher plays with time as well. So there's another element of like, what is happening? But whenever you find a show that that has boundaries and has a reality set out in front of you and you can go, oh yeah, I know who this is. I know what that means. I know where these things stand. And then something flies in the face of it and it, it just kind of sits aside from reality. I find it really jarring. And one of the worst examples I can think of is Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones, another fantastic series of films ruined by a later sequel. Um, you know, the original films were not total reality. There was kind of mm-hmm. witchcraft and the, the Ark of the Covenant. And, you know, there were stuff that was like paranormal, extra normal, you know, it, Outside the realms of normal human perception, that's fair enough. Um, but I think in the most recent film, and I blocked out most of it because it was it was truly awful, but the whole big reveal, like you were expecting something along the lines of hoodoo or witchcraft or some sort of similar premise, but not quite the same as all the other films. And in the end, it was aliens. You went, oh, hold, pardon? What? That was not in the brief. That was not discussed. No one, no one came here expecting or wanting aliens, and now that we have them, we're all very disappointed and annoyed. It, it just felt disingenuous, and I know that that's really privileged to say that. Going, the film I watched didn't meet my expectations, uh, because what the film isn't there to meet my ex- expectations; it's just to be its own thing. But it's frustrating when it seems uh, like a non sequitur, because part of the enjoyment of of content. Certainly things that we really enjoy, like I really enjoy science fiction and part of that enjoyment comes from expectation and reward. So like, oh my God, they can't possibly, oh no, they did. And that that kind of expecting a thing and either being surprised or rewarded with it is part of the enjoyment. But to have it go, oh my God, they can't possibly, what? No, what does that? And then read back 10 pages to make sure you didn't misread it because it doesn't quite follow. It feels like you're being cheated out of the enjoyment of it. Um, and and these these sort of negative uh, examples stand out to me more because there was a couple uh, of interesting positive ones that I had recently that made me think that's a really good way of doing it. Um, 
One of them is, is Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where instead of trying to establish bounds, uh, Douglas Adams just goes, there are no bounds. Anything can happen. Deal with it. Uh, and this, well, the central premise of those five books in a trilogy is improbability. And if it's improbable, it'll probably happen. And so if you go into the books knowing that, then the fact that a whale appears uh, and is sentient or a pot of petunias has thoughts, totally fine. Because <laughs> the binds have been suitably destroyed or set out so far in the distance that you know to expect the unexpected and it's fine. And and it was funny because it's a film that, that equally could be seen as, where did that come from? What is this nonsense? But because it doesn't hold itself up to have reality or clear bounds on what can and can't happen, it's not disingenuous for random stuff to happen in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> you just think it's a bunch of nonsense? No, I, I, I think that um, the, the conceit is... Oh, no, what am I trying to say? The central conceit, which in the movies that you're talking about, is something fantastical. Mm. All of the the movies that you've um, mentioned are either magic or or time travel. Yeah, it's all science fiction. Outside of, if you like, our our sort of existing. I think that translates to a certain extent to motivation in, in the real world, in real books. No, books about the real world or films about the real world. No, fiction, um, but within our existing world. You know, so, um, uh, I don't know, a spy thriller. Okay. Where uh, he doesn't pull out a gun and um, and kill the, the opposing spy by using time travel. He uses a bullet. <laughs> the... Where where those books jar me, one, it can be a little technical detail. So um, if you're into police procedurals and then um, the police do something that is completely not what the police do, <laughs> that, that that would knock you out of it. And yeah. same with the, the military. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't mind a good old war book and, you know, mercenaries here and mercenaries there. But then, you know, if the hero is running along with, you know, uh, a Kalishkinov in one hand and an M16 in the other and firing from the hip with two automatic weapons for, you know, four and a half minutes. I'm out of it. A, because I know he would have broken both his arms and B, because I know that he can empty both those guns in about two seconds. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just like, okay, that doesn't make any sense, which is where I will watch Rambo and go, uh, no, it's okay. Um, <laughs> but what, what really jars me in, in, Sort of any type of writing is is that one perhaps because I'm I'm dealing with it myself tonight is, is motivation, which is yeah. Why does get, the character getting, want to do that? Getting a character to do something that suits your narrative, fine, that's <laughs> great. Getting the reader, watcher, listener to believe that that's a lot harder. Yeah, and th- that's what grates me is when I sit there and go, well, "Why did he do that? Why didn't he just do this? Would have been easier." Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, plotting problems, I suppose. I think, I might be wrong, but I think those are the same thing. It's, it's yeah. really about, about plot. It's making the story here 
um, believable and the the misbelief, the misbelief, the disbelief, and the suspension of disbelief is an element of that. But a badly plotted book in any world or a badly plotted movie in any world will fail. Or, I mm. suppose, if it won't fail, it will just annoy you if it hasn't yeah. failed properly. Because Harry Potter, for example, certainly hasn't failed by any measure. <laughs> no, no. And I don't um, think it's a bad set of films. I just... That is my central problem with it. And it's it, it's the same problem. It's interesting. I didn't even realize that all my examples were fantasy sci-fi. Uh, it mm. tracks, don't get me wrong, but I didn't you know, sort of recognize that in the beginning. Um, but I think it, the central issue here is is lazy writing or, or unmotivated writing where things and characters and, and events happen, uh, not because a chain of events led them here, but because it suits the author for them to have happened to tell yeah. the story they're trying to tell. And and I went very film studies. I was on the train on the way home and I sat and wrote things. And I'm sure this could be lifted out of my uh, film studies final essay from about five or six years ago. And I wrote two paragraphs, which are the two kind of paragraphs that can only exist in a film studies or literary review essay. Because uh, outside of that, they are so snobbishly nonsense that they do not warrant reading. But I will read them for you now. Because I wrote them, and I feel like I need to, I need to voice them to get them off my chest. The disbelievability, yes, I did invent that word, of a thing is inversely proportional to the audience's appetite for disbelief. As a thing becomes more unbelievable, even within the confines of a universe which canonically allows for some disbelief, the audience's confidence in the integrity of that universe decreases. Wow, let's unpack that. Shall we? <laughs> Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones where you're like, yeah, you could have said that in two words, and you said it mm. in seventeen. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Was I? I think we'll we'll send TJ away and say, come back and say that in eight words. Um, <laughs> I. I think it. I think you're absolutely right, and I'm trying now just because um, the movies I have a sort of passing acquaintance with, mm. and I thought I knew the books better. But with with Harry Potter, I'm trying to work out why we need Hermione time traveling. I don't remember. Ultimately, That's well. Ultimately, it's because Harry casts his own Patronus to save right. him. And Sirius Black on the uh, the edge of the the lake, yeah. And in Harry's so why was that mind, important? Yeah, in Harry's mind, it was his father coming from beyond the grave to protect him. Which, in fairness, you know, there'd have been sort of a few hints and foreshadows of that, as in, you know, that you'd seen them in a mirror waving at them, and yeah, yeah, there yeah. was this sort of you know connection that they gave their life for him and all that jazz. Um. So in many ways, that would have been more believable than the, <laughs> yes. the time-traveling sort of, as you say, device. It feels like a weird... casting his own Patronus. Yeah, Ouroboros that it was unnecessary. Well, he needs to cast his own Patronus. So in order to cast his own Patronus, he needs to have time-traveled so that he can cast his own Patronus, which he needs to have done, so he needs to time... It's, this, it's, it's cyclical. It doesn't need to happen because it doesn't need to happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he needs to survive the attack of the Dementors uh, by the roadside, and that can be done mm. in 
I don't know, a hundred anyway, different ways. Literally any any other way. Any character. Pick any character to distract them. Problem solved. Uh, but yeah, I just... I I agree these feelings are strong and irrational, but they are mine nevertheless. Um, one of the, the good examples that I found recently, which I did not remember, and it's only because I rewatched that I realized this, um, Stargate, a show that I talked about briefly earlier. Um, I watched that when I was, well, eight or nine maybe. Um, and I remember watching going, this is great, aliens and uh, portals to another world and, uh, and traveling and exploring. And it was just it was really good fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and it kind of had this weird Star Trek thing where, and this is almost certainly due to real life budgetary constraints, every planet they went to were basically humans who spoke English with maybe funny foreheads or different costumes or something that is the same, but not quite. Uh, and that was always the central conceit of Star Trek uh, mm-hmm. and then became Stargate as well, where it was like, ah, it's kind of the same as the last planet, but these are all ancient Greeks instead of ancient uh, uh, Spartans. Whoops. Uh, and by the way, they all speak English. And you're like, what? And as a kid, I don't care. I, you know, I'm I'm 100% invested. It's great. As an adult, I was like, okay, come on, Really? But I didn't realize when I watched the first episode back, they kind of fix it in the first episode and then never refer to it again because they say basically the the whole thing with the Stargate is these little um, circular portals between lots of different worlds and there's uh, bad aliens who are basically using those portals to enslave humanity. But what you realize is that humanity has basically been uh, taken from Earth, which is sort of the planet they evolved on, and used by this alien race as slaves so they put them all over on different planets all over the world and let them kind of grow up there so they'd have different sort of stockpiles of of, uh, workers and so it's totally legitimate for them all to be sub variants of human beings because they are effectively all humans the the central premise of stargate is that all the aliens in the series with the exception of one are just human beings that grew up on different planets but they all came from the same place and that's Mm -hmm. something i missed the first time around and watching it the second time around, I went, oh, well, that kind of changes everything now that I think about it. Because now all that nonsense, like maybe, yeah, English is a stretch, but certainly the the similarity to Earth cultures, the similarity to historical events, that kind of tracks. And it went from being nonsense to being, you know, vaguely believable with one bit of writing, one throwaway line by a character. And... It, it, I think that was sort of the moment where I realized that it can go the other direction. You can equally fix it as much as you can break it with the, the right kind of writing. Well, okay. So this is, I, I agree with you because um, I'm sitting here now thinking, all right, let's go away from fantasy. Let's, let's talk about the real world because mm. I, uh, I think, I think there is something distinctive <laughs> about fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah. And, that that movie we were talking about with with Denzel being Denzel, yeah. So our, our pilot, he's ex U.S. Navy, um, and I love the way that that was communicated because the opening um, scene is Denzel sort of waking up in bed with a very attractive young lady, I have to say. Um, but the first thing you see is his shoulder with his tattoo, which very clearly has USN on it. I thought oh, that's clever. That's told me something without, you know, interrupting the flow of anything. Brilliant. Great. Love that. We then see that he's still full of booze, 
because before he can sort of speak on the phone, he has to uh, wet his whistle with a bottle of wine from the minibar. Um, he's uh, snorting cocaine, as is the stewardess that he's with. They've com- they clearly had a huge night, and they're basically getting dressed to go and fly a plane. <laughs> Scary in itself. And then you see the takeoff, and they're taking off through a, a huge storm. Uh, and the first thing I'm thinking is, mm, nope. Nope. The guys uh, on the ground would have said, no, you're not going anywhere until that storm blows through. But anyway. Okay, so we're watching him fight his way through this storm, and it's it's Star Trek-esque. Okay, so everybody is running from side to side and, and pretending to... Yeah, there's all that's going on, and they're fighting their way through it. And you can see that Denzel's allowing the fact that he's... Uh, you know, full of all sorts of drugs to slightly colour his thinking. His co-pilots uh, are clearly aware that all is not as it should be. But anyway, he gets through. We get into clear air and everybody goes, look, isn't he clever? He'd seen that there was clear air and he had to fight through. and Isn't that good? And you think, okay, this is a guy who used to fly fast jets for the Navy. I, you know, I'm still with it at this point. Now what we have to do is create an emergency that he and only he can save us from, as per, let's say, Sully, right? Some sort of emergency that he uses an incredible amount of skill, instinct, and experience to save the day. Because that's the premise of the movie, is that even though he'd done this amazing thing, he'd done it while he was drunk, so he was going to be hung, drawn, and quartered essentially Mm -hmm. and the best thing that they could come up with was let's turn the plane upside down (laughs) and so he can trim the plane to dive but because it's upside down it will go up that was the premise (laughs) which sounds like something i would do in flight sim for a bit of crack I don't even know if it's accurate. And frankly, I don't care if it's accurate. Of all of the things that we could have used to demonstrate that this guy was a a fantastic instinctive flyer and he saved the lives of his passengers, was flipping it upside down really the best thing we could do? Because it does look faintly ridiculous, as he's saying to the (laughs) co-pilot. Trim for dive. And then he's got one of the stewardesses putting the power on as he flips it as the engines. But I'm just going, really? Could could we not have done something else? <laughs> and that's where the, the movie kind of lost it for me. As well as then, you know, some of the, the stuff around alcohol later I thought was a little bit unbelievable. But, but some of it was really good too. Um, and to me, that was just lazy writing. That was... You know, how, I, I don't know if this is based on a book, by the way. I should maybe look that up. Um, because maybe the book I'm handles looking, it I differently. Think, yeah, there was a, a, I think it was based on an actual flight, but I think everyone passed away on that. I think there were no survivors. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, so, that, that was very different from what happened in the movie. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm going to look this up and find that, in fact, he did save the plane by, by flipping it upside down. But mm, I didn't believe it. I really didn't believe it. And it, as you say, it throws you out of the movie. 
because if you lose part of that sort of central conceit, you then go, okay, look, uh, this is, f for me at least, then I start looking at everything else. I'll start looking at the acting um, or, or lack of it. I'll start looking at um, continuity errors, you know, all those sort of things that just occupy my mind because I'm not, I'm not into the story anymore. I'm not into the characters. Yeah, it kind of, once you're out of it, it's very hard to gain your trust and get you back into it because all of a sudden you're going, ah, nonsense, rubbish. And you've already <laughs> yeah. created the film in your head and so you kind of, unless something spectacular happens... You've already given that film a two stars out of five, and that's yeah. kind of the end of the book, you know. Yeah, that was definitely the case for for me, and you know, the same with the the pursuit of happiness. Bless it. Um, not that I, I didn't believe in it; it was just so laboured, which is, I suppose, a different problem. Anyway, I'm rambling, so I think we're probably at the point where I say, "I've been Stu Lennon, and I've been T.J. Cosgrove." Remember to suspend your disbelief and make the past the present, in the future. This was 1857.